0: Hi, I'm Claire. I'm going to read the whole of Mark chapter 13. If you want to follow along, it's on page 1006. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be first preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given, at the, given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world, until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away.
1: Great to be with you. Let me pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for the great privilege we have of coming to your word this evening. We pray that as we look at it together, you would continue to help us understand it um, and more importantly, respond to it um, as your people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it turns out that how you perceive the future has a huge impact on the way you go about things today. Um, So, for example, if you perceive that you will receive a degree in two or three years' time, you will work hard towards that degree because you know that's what's coming. Uh, If you have a project at work, for example, um, and the project is due in two months' time, That will determine how you behave today. What you believe needs to take place in the future will determine how you think of things today. Just recently, my daughter was married. Uh, We knew about it for about a year. We knew the date for about a year. And almost every single day of that year, uh, something was done towards that wedding day. Uh, Knowing that date impacted the way we lived every single day. So knowing something about our future has an impact on the way that we live, on the way we go about living our lives. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus talks about the future. And it has an impact on the way we live our lives now. You might remember last week, if you were with us, Jesus has been talking in the temple and he's been speaking to the religious leaders of the day He's pointed out that they're hypocrites. He's pointed out the fact that they've got wealth. He's pointed out the fact that they've misunderstood God's word. And he's challenged them at every point and shown his authority. He's been speaking with authority. Speaking with the authority of the Son of God. And so as we come into chapter 13, he comes with that authority and speaks about the future. Now, as we turn to Mark chapter 13, the conversation begins like this. He was leaving the temple, and one of his disciples said, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And then he continues on like this. In response to what the disciples says, Jesus says, no one's, Not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Now... Uh, Jesus is looking at this scene. He's talking to his disciples. By this time, they've moved across from the temple. This is the Mount of Olives, um, and that's looking across to the temple site. Uh, you can see the Dome of the Rock, that big golden dome there. Uh, that's now an Islamic mosque. And on the other side, you can see the other big building there. That's also an Islamic mosque. But in that area there is where the temple stood. And Jesus is at the Mount of Olives, and he's looking across at the temple. And he's saying not one of those stones will remain. And the kind of stones he's referring to are seen at the Wailing Wall. On the other side of that picture, if you sort of go further, you'll find the Wailing Wall. And this is all that's left of the temple. And you'll see the big stones there. And this kind of makes the foundations of the temple. And Jesus is saying not one stone will be left unturned. Everything will be thrown down. The temple will be destroyed. Now, this is a very, very significant statement. It's, it's a bit hard for us to get our heads around just how significant this statement is. It's a bit like, you know, Jesus is on the Staten Island ferry in the year 2000. And as, they travel, as he travels out on the ferry with his disciples, he turns around and looks back and the disciples say, look at those magnificent twin towers standing there. And Jesus says, actually, they're going to be completely destroyed. They're no longer going to exist. Can you imagine how stunning this is? Jesus is saying, the temple, which is the center of religious life, the center of Israel, is going to be completely destroyed. Disciples, I think, quite surprisingly believe him. They say, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus then takes this moment to speak about the future. He will address the when and the what, but he'll also address how the disciples should respond. He'll address the when and the what, and he'll also talk about how the disciples should respond. Now, the when question is quite a difficult one if you heard this passage read. Um, There's a lot of difficulties with the way Jesus speaks here. For example, in Mark chapter 13, verse 30, he says, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So that seems close. When will this happen? It seems not far away. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. But you may have noticed just a couple of verses later, Jesus uses another description of when. He says, No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. You do not know when that time will come. Now you notice two different... Times involved, the when that is close, and the when that well, we don't actually know when. Now, at first, they seem like conflicting ideas, but I want to suggest to you that they, they they belong in the same picture. It's possible to hold these two things together. It's not impossible to hold an event and something unknown together. So you might say, for example, I have a project at work to get done. I have an assignment due. But actually, I don't know much more beyond that. I'm not quite sure when all all my workplace things will finish or when I'll be finished my study eventually. I'm not quite sure when. But I do know I have to get this in. And so you have something close, but you can also see something far. And they're all part of the same picture. And I think that's what's taking place here. Things are close, but things are also far. Things relate to things close, but things also relate to things that are far. And sometimes they're all jumbled up. Now, as you can imagine, people come to this passage and have all kinds of particular views about how that actually works. And I just want to share with you my thoughts about this tonight as I've thought about this passage and as I've thought about the way uh, it works and what this when means. Well, let's return to the things that seem close. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, I've underlined these things because I think the writer of Mark is saying these things is important. The other time he's used the, word, the words these things in the original language is back when he was talking about the destruction of the temple. Tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled. So I think when Mark uses the term these things, he's referring to the destruction of the temple. He's suggesting that the destruction of the temple will take place within this generation. And so then the question becomes, what in this passage gives us a clue to the kind of signs that will take place before the destruction of the temple or at the destruction of the temple. Well, in Mark chapter 13, verse 14, we read these interesting words. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Let the reader understand. Do you understand that? I don't particularly understand. Let the reader. Well, obviously, it meant something to the people who were reading it for the first time, for the people who have heard these words for the first time. Let the reader understand the abomination that causes desolation is standing where it does not belong. Well, those who are standing before Jesus may have recognised this is a reference to something that took place in Daniel, another place where we hear of apocalyptic literature. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, we read these words. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Uh, It's clearly a reference to the temple. I think this is ringing in the ears of those who are listening as Jesus speaks. They hear Daniel in the background. They hear the prophecies of Daniel in the background. But you notice that there are armed forces involved. uh, The temple fortress. They'll desecrate the temple fortress and they'll abolish the daily sacrifice. All very significant things. And then they'll set up an abomination that causes desolation. Of course, the other place we can look is the other Gospels and think about what does it have to say, what do they have to say about this particular aspect in Mark. In Luke 21, verse 20, we read, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. So it seems that this is about the temple, about the destruction of the temple, about it being surrounded by enemies, about something taking place within the temple that is so destructive and so terrible that sacrifices can take place no more. Well, we're a few years later than Jesus. And a few years later than when Jesus was saying these words. And so... We know that in AD 70, the Romans completely destroyed the temple within the generation that Jesus was speaking about. Josephus Josephus wrote in the Jewish wars, he's a Jewish historian, not a Christian historian, someone who's commenting on what's taking place. The Romans brought their standards into the temple area, erecting them opposite the East Gate and sacrificed to them there with thunderous acclamation, and hailed Titus. In the center of Jerusalem, where the people of God worshipped God and bought their sacrifices, standards were erected. People sacrificed to other gods. This is the desolation of this temple. And they hailed Titus. What's also true is the Romans brought brought a great destruction to the whole of Jerusalem and completely destroyed the physical temple. When I visited in Jerusalem, there's a place dug out underneath some of the buildings where there's evidence that the Romans had been and of the force that they'd used. There were spears and there were people who'd been um, killed as they were trying to escape. There was evidence of burning. Clearly, the Romans had come and completely destroyed Jerusalem. And for the Jewish nation state, this was a very, very significant event. One they still remember today because the temple is no longer there. And they cannot offer sacrifices to God at the temple. It has been completely destroyed. And this is 2,000 years later. Of course, I think there are other ways of thinking about this as well. I think there's a theological aspect to what is taking place. And we see that revealed a little bit later in Mark chapter 14. The Pharisees, in speaking about Jesus, repeat some of the words that he's used. And Jesus has said, I will destroy this man made temple and in three days will build another not made by man. You see, Jesus sees in the destruction of the temple his own destruction, but more importantly, he becomes the temple. He becomes the place to sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. He becomes the great high priest. He is the one that we go to and worship. Jesus is the new temple through his death and through his resurrection. And you might remember that passage in Hebrews, which speaks about this when it says in Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open to us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the household of God, let us draw near with God with sincere heart in full insurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is wonderful news. This destruction of the temple ultimately speaks of a whole new way of doing things. Of a personal and intimate access to God. Of Jesus, who is prepared to be our sacrifice on our behalf. Now, of course, this is not the only thing this passage is talking about. As we mentioned previously... There is a bigger picture, not just this smaller picture, but the bigger picture. So let's now move to think about that a little bit further. Remember those words, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven. Now, How are we to understand this? Well, in verse 24, you'll see, it says, In those days, following this distress, we read these words. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Now you can see something cataclysmic is happening here. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky. It's pointing to a time when everything comes to an end. You also see this reference to the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power, and people have different opinions about exactly when that is going to take place, or does take place. But I think the point here is that there is the end of time. We can at least say there is a time coming when things will end in the way that they are now. Now, I remember reading this, I actually read the Matthew version of this when I was in about fourth class, and uh, I remember going outside one day and uh, looking up, and there'd been bushfires, and the sun was really, really dark, and I was petrified. I'm thinking, Jesus is coming back now. I'm in trouble. Well, obviously he hasn't, but I guess the point is the world is coming to the end. And in light of that, Jesus says we are to do certain things. This is when, but what is going to take place? Well, if we run through a couple of things here, we'll see. In verse 6, Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. Everyone will hate you because of me. These are the signs of the end. These are the signs of his final coming. Now, it's interesting to think about those signs, isn't it? The way that they work, we've seen those things happen many, many times. We've seen the world unfold in this way. We've seen many people coming to claim themselves as Christ and trying to deceive others. We've seen nation rise against nation. We've seen earthquakes and famines And we've seen Christians hated down through the ages because of their belief in Jesus. Now, I think this is really important in terms of our future because it says something about our future. It says neither that our world is getting better and better and better, nor that our world is getting worse and worse and worse. It's suggesting that there are periods of time in our world's history when nation will grow against nation, There are periods of time where people will be deceived. There are earthquakes and and famines. But in the big picture, the world is neither getting worse or better. Because it's in God's hands. And he determines our futures. Now, that means a lot for how we might live today. And that's really the question we actually haven't answered at this point in time. How are we to live in light of that being our future? Well, let's look together at what it means to live in this way. I think Jesus says to us, be alert but not alarmed. You might remember that phrase from a number of years ago. Stay awake, be on your guard are the kind of words that are used throughout the passage. Be alert, but not alarmed. How is that expressed? Well, it's expressed in a number of different ways. Many will be deceived. Watch out that no one deceives you. Be on your guard. Check out what's being said. Know that you can be possibly deceived. So watch out. Nation will rise against nation. Don't be alarmed, such things must happen. And the same thing with earthquakes and famines. Don't be alarmed, such things must happen. Now, that doesn't mean they won't affect us and we won't grieve and we won't feel the weight of these things, but don't be alarmed. It's in God's hands, it's in God's time. He knows what He's doing, He's in charge of the future. The last one, everyone will hate you because of me, is interesting. Because it says, how are we to respond or how are the disciples to respond? And like we likewise, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry about beforehand about what you're going to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm guessing if you're standing and arrested and brought towards trial, you've been living a Christian life and you've been speaking God's words to people. And you're being tried for those things. But Jesus is saying, actually, I'll be with you. I'll give you the words to speak. And almost immediately we see that happening. Uh, For example, in the book of Acts, Stephen Since Stephen, we're named after it, Stephen is martyred, killed, and he speaks. Now, the reality is that that could be our reality as well. That people could hate us because of what Jesus has said. That we could be brought to trial. But what does it say? Do not worry beforehand. Be alert, but don't be alarmed. Why? Because God holds our future, and He's shown that in Jesus' death and resurrection. This evening, what I invite you to do is entrust yourself to Him, to entrust yourself to our God, who tells us He knows our futures, to say, Actually, I trust you with my future, so I will live in light of that future now. I trust you with where you're leading me, so I will live in light of that future now, in light of what you have done for me. Well, as we conclude this evening, I want to pray. And I'm going to use an old hymn as part of the prayer, which kind of reminds us a little bit of the themes that we've been talking about this evening. So I just invite you to close your eyes, and uh, as we conclude, let's pray. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on my side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. though thorny ways lead to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All mysterious now shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt, dwelt below, be still, my soul.